Welcome to Jack Theology. Uh, my name is Dr. Matt Murphy, and I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Kevin Young. Welcome to the show. Um, glad to have you guys. Uh, feel free to um, comment in the thread if you're watching, to share this, to uh, like our our podcast uh, feed, and then also uh, comment, review it uh, positively. <laughs> Preferably, but you know, any feedback, I guess, is... Whatever. Whatever you want to do. I probably help all of it probably helps the the old algorithm. So uh, if you would like to do so, we love and appreciate that. Thank you for joining us. We had a great we were just talking before we clicked record about last week's uh, pod with uh, our friend Nijay, uh, Dr. Gupta. And we we're excited about that. Uh, hopefully, if you haven't checked that out, I encourage you to check that out. Yeah, that was, that was a must, a must listen. I, I, I'm almost I'm almost at telling people just just don't watch the one we're about to do. Go, go watch that one first in, instead. Um, it yeah, was good. Yeah, Nijay just was was incredible, um, not just on the topic of women in ministry, but there was just a lot of other great content in there. In addition to that, that really yeah, could, have, he, could have used its own uh, its own podcast. On, it just you, you need to listen. Yeah. And. I think he he framed it in a way that I hadn't heard before. I think it's a, a he's plowing new ground in the, in that discussion. So it's no matter where you're at, complementary, egalitarian, uh, take a take a listen. I think you'll get a lot out of it on both sides of the coin. So, um, yeah. So, well, before we get into today's, I wanted to give Kevin an opportunity. You're you're going to be at a conference soon, right? That's that's right around the corner. When is that? Yeah, it is uh, in a few weeks in um, St. Louis. And so if anybody is in the St. Louis area or wants to go to the St. Louis area, I think it's February maybe 19th and 20th. Uh, so it's a few weeks away from here. But uh, you can go to beyond.network. That's the that's the URL, beyond.network, and find out more about it. I'm uh, going to be talking about... For uh, Brian McLaren's going to be there. Amy Oden's going to be there. Both of those individuals are, are more more than worth the cost of attendance. Um, me, I just I'm just there <laughs> uh, talking about how to engage people and utilize um, technology and spiritual practices and things beyond beyond the Sunday worship gathering. And so trying to you know create this framework for um, spiritual transformation, spiritual growth, and momentum. Uh, that doesn't just rely on a Sunday morning worship gathering. So looking forward to that. Awesome. I was just in St. Louis. I've um, been there a lot, actually, over the years. It's a, it's a nice town. Good barbecue. Good barbecue. Great yeah. baseball there. Um, yeah, good baseball. Beautiful stadium. And, and the arch is there. So that's, it is, but they, I'm a little, really I'm a little scared of heights, though. So, so the arch, the 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 arch is my arch enemy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, uh, I've been up at it several times, but I just I, I have a thing with heights. Yeah. So it's 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 ne- took, it's never uh, fun for me. Yeah, yeah. We took the kids. We didn't go up it because we didn't have time. But they had a they had an awesome uh, museum. That they really remodeled the place really well over it's the last incredible. few years. And uh, so it's worth even if you're scared of heights, just going and checking out the history and and different stuff they got going on there so anyhow yeah and if you ever make it to st louis my last pitch is, is visit st charles it's a uh, it's a great little hidden hidden area of st louis so st charles go visit yeah i was staying in st charles the other night uh before i took a flight out um i got some barbecue there that's about it didn't have time to really party but um yeah so yeah, we're so gonna dive into topic is Pillar, part, part pillar three, number right? three, yeah. pillar number three of our look at evangelicalism. Uh, so we we looked at kind of scriptural authority and errancy. We looked at the uh, lostness of man and conversion. And so this week we want to we want to dive into the cross. And so the the third pillar of evangelicalism is uh, cross centeredness, uh, cruciform. However you want to look at that, the cross. And so. There's really like a plethora of ways we could really take this. Um, but I, I thought we'd start, I mean, immediately uh, where people go. And I think if we continue with our jacked theology kind of theme is is the, the different views of atonement, right? I think right. any like like any of these pillars, any Christian faith would believe the cross is central to our faith. And I think where a lot of deconstruction happens 
Yes. Nice. Across, uh, across the central. Yeah. There you go. We're, we're, yes. we're intentionally uh, today. <laughs> I don't know that I'd even be seen out in public in these in this early 90s <laughs> Lord's Gem shirt. But we're going to talk about the cross, the sins of the world. It just felt uh, it felt appropriate today for jacked theology to wear a jacked 90s Christian <laughs> knockoff Gold's Gym, you know, shirt for Lord's the Gym. Lord's Gym. It's all about the cross, um, right? I mean, growing up, it was all about yeah. everything was everything was cross centered, and uh, I don't know that I, I don't know that we thought about atonement theories, but man, a lot of people do, and it's very important to a lot of people in a lot of theology. So yeah, yeah. So I um, I interrupted you, and you were you were about to kind of walk through. Well, some I was of that. Just, I was just going to conclude the thought that I, we would start with the theories of atonement because I think. All of the deconstruction, a lot of deconstruction from this pillar of of the cross of evangelicalism, it, it comes from I think a skewed view of, of the theories of atonement. And, and so, growing up, and even as pastor pastoring, the gospel was always one particular theory of atonement. And so, we were never taught like, oh, this is just a theory. Uh, there's other theories on how atonement works. Yeah, it was thought it was thought uh, as tr- taught as truth, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, so theory of atonement for those of uh, for those of the folks out there who may be like me and um, you know you're not quite sure exactly what that means. Um, am I explaining it right if I say a theory of atonement is essentially a, an explanation of why the cross is important and what happened, like what work, you know, what what changed um, in the world be, because of the cross? Is that is that a good explanation, or do you have a better one? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's true. And so, um, people with their different theories believe their theory is the truth is the gospel, which I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But then, but then to say that all other theories aren't valid, I mean, they're all based in scripture. Um, there's a great book. We don't have time to really. I mean, we're not going to dive into it, but I wanted to highlight this book, uh, The Mosaic of Atonement uh, by Joshua McNall, uh, is a great uh, kind of overview of the different theories of atonement. And he's he argues that there's probably bits and pieces and what actually is happening. There's probably bits and pieces of all the different theories of atonement. Uh, but where we get into trouble, where the Jack theology comes is where we – I. I on our Jack Theology uh, Twitter feed the other day, I I, I posted at this guy named uh, Page Masta is his uh, handle. Um, <laughs> Adam Page, a uh, Adam, a, ba- a hey. Baptist in Florida, maybe I'm not sure, but but certainly a Baptist. Adam know. Page, yeah, okay. What what he said. Now that I say his handle out loud, like man, dude, you need to change that handle, bro. <laughs> You're the master. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, there's so much I could go in. Whatever. Um, so he says penal substitutionary atonement is greater than the Radisson theory of atonement. And so essentially his, his view on the atonement is factual while everything else is theory. I found that kind of humorous. So I mean, isn't that how all of us do theology, though? It's, it's certainly <laughs> how us Baptists theory. used to do it. Yes. He acknowledged this theory. We used to have, when I was church planning, uh, uh, Excel doc. I we could find it. It's probably in a Google Doc somewhere. Where we listed all the churches in a particular city that I was planting in Philadelphia. Go Eagles! And we listed every church in the area, and then if they're gospel preaching or not. And what we really meant was, are they preaching the penal substitutionary atonement theory of <laughs> cross? So, uh, okay, so you guys were penal substitutionary atonement (PSA), which every time I say penal substitutionary atonement theory my uh my inner middle school boy just giggles (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Yeah. so okay what is penal substitutionary atonement because i I do think it's like the 800 pound gorilla atonement theory like whenever people talk about atonement theories or or fight for atonement theories I, i think adam is probably in the majority in that um, the people who care about atonement theories usually are penal substitutionary atonement because of a very particular um, reading and understanding of what the cross does. Uh, yeah. Um, the penal penal substitutionary atonement theory um, is essentially the... Um, 
where Jesus ha- has to be a satisfaction. He has to um, pay the penalty. Like we, because we have sinned, uh, we deserve death, and God has to kill the sinner. And so Jesus uh, comes to be the one that is killed in our stead. And so if we profess that Jesus did that. Uh, we then can be saved from being killed. And I think it's important, too, that a big part of this um, is is hell is the driving force. So the, go- the good news in this theory is that we are saved from burning hell. Um, that is the good news. Um, and so Jesus does that by God killing him. And so there's this there's this image of God has to satisfy his thirst for violence, for vengeance over sin. And Jesus is that sacrifice, um, right? So without certainly, so without hell, um, pardon the reference, but it kind of takes the fire out from underneath penal substitutionary atonement. I, I think so. I think it takes off. It, it yeah, it takes the, the whole thing. Takes a lot comes of coming down a bit. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, mean, I, I refer, they would not probably find this. Um, the, <laughs> this is not a charitable definition of penal substitutionary atonement theory. So I just want to say that coming out of the gate. But I have always kind of thought of this um, perspective on the cross as being kind of the angry, abusive father has to kill something because of his rage. And uh, so it's either us or his son. And so he chooses his son over the people who actually committed, committed the infractions. Uh, but it, it's so fascinating because even once that is paid in penal substitutionary atonement theory, there's still this idea that, well, okay, it's all been paid, but you should still kind of try to obey and live up to that perfect standard. Uh, that got it. So <laughs> it's, um, it's not a well, charitable no. representation of the theory, but I, I think you have to kind of wrestle with this picture of God that it creates. I don't think you can necessarily avoid that, um, that image of the angry, abusive father, even if it's not charitable, I think it is an unavoidable, because all of these are kind of what is inherent to the nature of God and what isn't. And so this one certainly leans into the law and the justice and this idea of hell and eternal conscious torment. Like it, it leans into those, um, that side, I, I think of, of um, God's character, if, if those are characters of God, and then translates those things as being loving that God did that. And so that's for a lot of people, that's, that's a leap to say that that's the gospel or that's the only way to understand. At least it is for me. Yeah. I, yeah, you, you hit it right on the head. There's a lot of implications that people don't think about. Um, I think the abusive father is, is a big one. Um, you know, I used to teach it. I used to preach it all the time. You know, that theory, and it was it wasn't something I, I necessarily thought about, um, but it's true because it, if you look at sin, like if somebody was in sin in our congregation, we would, we as leadership, me as the leader, would be kind of that abusive father of saying, if you don't shape up, then you're going to go to hell, right? Like it was an ongoing like thing where we preach this to to get people to you know, submit to our morality, our way of, of living in the world. Um, and even folks would, would preach like, Oh, it's not a, like, you know, it's not about moralism. It's just about Jesus paying it all. And, and we don't have to worry about that. There's, there's grace. Um, so there, so even in a lot of the preaching, it was like acknowledged that maybe we weren't right about this. <laughs> um, but we, we couldn't get away from this, this, this theory, this of atonement, um, and to admit maybe some other theory might have a role in this. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we I, I think you make a great point in bringing it down into the real world and into preaching and into pastoral care is that our theologies don't operate in a vacuum. Uh, you know, our theologies have to be lived out and practiced in the real world. And so they have no matter what theologies we subscribe to, they have real world implications. And I think that we cannot divorce our theologies as much as we would want to from real world implications. And at the base level, I think Jesus, 
<laughs> this is one of Jesus's primary messages to uh, the Judaism of his day is that it was so far divorced from the real world implications. And Jesus keeps saying, no, 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 prodigal son, good Samaritan, and all of these parables, you know, um, the Beatitudes, you know, he's continually calling people back to this idea that your theology uh, either invites people onto the bus or leaves bodies behind the bus as it rolls. And you, you have to take those things together. And I, I think I would say charitably this time, there are um, pieces and parts of penal substitutionary atonement. There is this idea of there being substitution, of there being um, a wrath or an anger uh, to God's righteousness that, that must be reckoned with and reconciled. Uh, but I just feel like to say that this is the sum total of the work of the cross or this is the primary way to understand the cross and to understand god to me it's a far leap from going this is a, a part or an aspect to this is it and this is only it especially when you look at the real world implications of how that theology plays itself out yeah in every theory you're 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 correct in every theory fall, falls apart at some point um, it's a theory, right? So um, the whole set, you know, a lot of it's built on the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, but where it kind of falls apart is actually um, the high priest puts all the sin of the world on the scapegoat, right? And then they actually don't kill that that lamb. They send it out, right? They send out the sin out of the camp. And so the whole idea that, that Jesus takes all the sin of the world and he, he dies because he's, all, you know, God sees all the sin on Jesus and he sacrifices himself. So now God is satisfied. Doesn't even really line up with the whole sacrificial system. So um, the theory kind of falls apart um, and unravels a bit, even through scripture. That's um, fascinating. I had never considered the scapegoat and the, the scapegoat analogy, you know, um, yeah. the, the, um, the, that being a part of it, because, you know, that ties into one of my primary concerns with this substitutionary atonement, this idea that God killed his son for us just doesn't seem to comport with, uh, I, I mean, God killed himself. I mean, if Jesus is God, God killed himself, a suicide of four people. And it just doesn't comport to this idea that um, for me, whenever I read the gospels, what I see is that people, that humanity killed Jesus, not God. Uh, does Jesus yeah. seemed to willingly walk into this and into this plan. But for me, what I see in the cross is it is the end of the road. It's the logical conclusion of humanity doing things on their own in their own way is that um, God is sacrificed and humanity is sacrificed in that process. And so, you know, to see the cross as being um, God's work, of punishment rather than humans work of punishment apart from God is hard for me. Is there an aspect in there of, of God working and using and redeeming human, what humanity meant for evil? God turns around and uses for good. Yes. But to see this cross as a sum total of God punishing himself, punishing Jesus, Jesus becomes a, Jesus becomes a sub character in this huge, um, in this huge, massive drama and trauma between God and humanity, and I just, I just don't think that Jesus is a bit player in God's in God's theatrics. Uh, I, I think that it it takes God too far and relieves us of some responsibility for what happened to Jesus, or, or most of the responsibility for what happened to Jesus. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I, feel like I, I feel like I'm saying the same thing in, in different ways, but I, I think we have to we we have to use some different lenses, or should look at these through some different lenses, um, in order to say what really matches up best, or, or maybe they're like you said, I think are pieces and parts of these. Um, and, and it shouldn't be lost on us. This theory didn't begin until you know the reformers. Um, it's definitely a, a reformer. What? You mean the church fathers <laughs> didn't, didn't believe in penal substitutionary atonement theory? Um, I'm guessing the yeah, reformers there, would say they did. There was some building upon, you know, some of the, like St. Anselm, I think, was the 
kind of the originator with satisfaction theory that God has his needs to be satisfied for his violent anger towards sin. Yeah. Augustine um, too, I think was in there a lot with hell and, yeah. and torment. And- um, so there's some building on those. Yeah. Some earlier church fathers, but this isn't like a theory that was believed since, you know, the first century. Um, it was developed in thought, which is fine. I mean, there is obviously, I don't think to be charitable, I, and people aren't building this off of just thin air. Um, there are Bible verses that, that they use to support it, I think. But what they, what we don't do is, is right. We have our own biases. So if we, we believe a certain thing. We, we are looking to prove our thing and we kind of ignore things that maybe don't line up like the scapegoat issue, um, and there's other issues within that. Um, one yeah, being hell. No, you, yeah, you're exactly right. right. We, we have our idea of how things are, and then we end up going to the Bible and searching, and we find words like propitiation. We find um, Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant, and we find these um, we find these things that seem to support. And then you're right. We end up kind of rejecting the things that don't support that, or we end up reinterpreting the meanings of some of these things, especially in, in the Hebrew scriptures to match, um, our theory rather than thinking, well, maybe, (laughs) maybe they didn't have that in mind at all. Uh, maybe that's completely outside of, of a, the best interpretation of these passages. Yeah. And I think a big hole in it is this idea of hell. I don't want to get in. I mean, we need to do a whole nother podcast on hell, but not if we've not done one, you're right. We do. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think what the hell Matt how, how have yeah. we gone this long without doing <laughs> without doing a podcast on hell yeah, I think we've, we've mentioned it a few times but we haven't dedicated a whole hour to it um, but I, I think if you look at the teachings of Jesus he rarely even mentions any any word that we could call hell in his teachings he, he is he is calling people to a new way of living and so even if, even if we look at the gospel we, we have you, you can't let hell be like the, this overarching thing that is like driving us that the good news right. is we're safe from this thing. If that was true, I think Jesus would have taught on it all the time. Hey, guys, if you don't get this right, you're going here, right? He, ne- he never did that. <laughs> well, he people just- say, what? He talks more about hell than he does heaven. Well, that probably tells you how much he talks about heaven, <laughs> which is not a lot. And why what he talks he- about is what? his kingdom. Yeah, well, right? exactly. That's that's yeah. the thing. Jesus talks about the kingdom is now. The kingdom is at hand. You know, salvation is almost always when it's talked about, it's talked about in present tense. Whenever hell is talked about, it's almost talked it's almost always spoken of in the present tense. And so, you know, Jesus continues to use this language of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is now. And if that's true, then that totally shoots to hell this idea of penal substitutionary atonement which is jesus has to die in order to satisfy all these things and make a way to god jesus is saying right now the kingdom of heaven is at hand you you can you can be with god even before jesus dies he says to the guy who's hanging next to him you know you're going to be with me today and jesus is always in this present language not waiting for some future atonement theory substitution propitiation to happen but now and if everything hangs in the balance on the cross and all of god's plan hangs in the balance on the cross not that it's unimportant but if it all hangs in the balance of that then jesus lied for three and a half years of his ministry when he said it's at hand it's now you know you you can't be a part of this today yeah yeah, you're, you're right on. I mean, now I know they're going to do lots of theological loops and runarounds to get around that and to say, well, yes, but when it comes to it, stop with the theological scuba. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, yeah. just take things at face value and stop trying to run things through circles and loopholes in order to prove the theology that breaks down whenever you really take it in whole against all of what scripture says. I like that theological scubula. Theological you scubula. something like that. Yeah, I, I typically <laughs> use the word scubula instead of shit because <laughs> 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 it doesn't trip the censors of my wife. And so probably not. <laughs> I may have to bleep, I may have to bleep that in post. 
<laughs> well, plus it just forces uh, people to go back to the Greek. So I, I, I like that a little I bit. Love it. I love it. Um, there's a NT Wright talks a lot about this and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think his work on this, like this whole cross centeredness, like is, is just beautiful. I think, um, he gives a really, he paints a beautiful picture of what the cross did and should be. And, and he, he give he is charitable when he writes that there is an element that there is a penalty because of sin, right? That seems to be clear in scripture. There, there is, a substitution aspect of of the atonement, um, but in the heartbeat behind the reformers and what they were saying around the penal substitutionary torment, is it wasn't the gospel. It wasn't what Jesus was about. He was calling us to this new way of life. The good news is that Jesus is King and He's establishing His new kingdom. And the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount kind of reveals what that new kingdom looks like. That is the good news that we get to now live into that um, world. Uh, that's the gospel. Um, and then, you know, the cross, the cross, Jesus defeated death. Um, there's a, the, you know, he talks about, he's the resurrection and the life. I, I think Jesus came to save us from death, um, from the, the penalty of sin. And he, he lives a life showing us how to live life, not death. Right. And then he also physically enters into death and defeats it. Um, that to me is what Jesus was about, what we see, um, what theory that is. I think probably the best theory that encapsulate that is, is Christos Victor, um, that Christ is the victor. And I, um, I think if we look at it through that lens, I mean, we can then appreciate the different theories of atonement and how they play into that. Jesus is King. Jesus is victorious. Um, and we can look at them through that through that lens and have a healthier view, and we can debate the nuances. We can debate um, how it happened, uh, what some of the implications of the gospel are, um, whether or not we need to pray prayer or not, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Those sorts of things we can debate and have good honest dialogue on, but we can at least agree that you know Christ is victorious. Christ has has come to be King and establish this new kingdom. And the other thing that N.T. Wright talks about that I wanted to to kind of dabble in a little bit is this idea of penal substitutionary atonement and the way that it's classically taught, which we've been talking about here is has a lot of paganism in it. Um, and a lot of pagan religions believe that if you mess up, you must then have a punishment, right? It's the whole yin yang. It's the, my good must outweigh my bad kind of mentality, which is kind of a natural human uh, way of looking at the world. Um, you know, it, in, in, in Jesus came to establish a new kind of kingdom, not the way of the world. And so this idea that because I've done wrong, I must be punished for that wrong. Um, and all of those wrongs need to be put on, something need to be satisfied um, is a pagan way of looking at the world. And N.T. Wright uh, in his book, The Day the Revolutionary Began, Revolution Began, talks a lot and draws a lot of that out. And when the first time I read that and thought about that, as I, as I, as I thought, like, he's right. Um, if we look at the world around us, like, we use that view of how to get people to, to do things all the time in all sorts of different ways from from fitness to our patriotism to um, our loyalty to our organization that we work in, it's 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 it, it's wrought with that, right? Um, like today, um, my wife is telling me that you know she's a manager in her company and they have to they have to reprimand somebody, right? Because they got out of line um, with the company policy. And, and so that, that's how we get people back in line. We don't get them back in line with grace and the gospel and the good news that we get them back in line with a penal substitutionary atonement theory. Um, it's just all around us. And I think it, it hurts the church and it hurts our witness when we, when we bring that, that idea into the church. Yeah, I think, um, you made some really, some really good points there, and and I, I mean, NT Wright is, <laughs> NT Wright is the most charitable guy uh, that I know, and he has a way of simply just um, communicating what he wants to get across in a way that is 
very open-handed and doesn't doesn't set off a lot of a lot of triggers in other people and yeah definitely i think what, what was the book that you recommended i don't i don't think that i've heard the day the revolutionary the day the revolution began yeah yeah and i'm glad that you uh you mentioned christus victor as well as an atonement theory what uh adam mentioned the ransom theory i mean there there are several of these that are out there um that are that are other ways to to kind of other lenses by which to see the cross and its work uh, and, and i think you're you're right the early church probably as some would say that christus victor you know christ is victorious was the atonement theory that the early church used and, and i think i think there's a strong argument to be made for that but there's also a strong arg- argument to be made that they didn't really talk in this kind of language at all but they they did seem to kind of elevate this idea that christ is victorious and that makes a lot of sense when you think about it because in the context in which they were living in roman pagan culture as you talked about paganism they're also you know very quickly uh beginning to suffer first at the hands of you know Judaism, who's trying to kind of suppress and repress this uh, movement within Judaism once the way Christianity kind of begins to break off, even by the end of the New Testament, from Judaism. Then they're moving into this season of suffering, you know, under the Roman Empire. And so, you know, this idea of victory and Christ being victorious, um, not just in the present world, but in the next life as well begins to take on a lot of uh, prominence in people's minds and hearts as martyrs begin being murdered and and people are like you know what do we what do we do with all of this you know where is victory and they go back to Jesus and they go back to the cross at the beginning the cross was not a very uh, important symbol to the early church you know the the ark the boat um, the fish there there were some of these uh, symbols that were actually kind of, as we look back into catacombs and things, they predate the cross as being a central symbol of Christianity. But uh, as they continue into this idea of Christ being victorious, the afterlife and, and focusing on what is the what is the power and the reason and the necessity of the cross, uh, it becomes a very uh, cross-centered faith, which I don't think is necessarily wrong. But um, I don't think they started there with penal substitutionary atonement. I think they started in some of these other theories, in ransom theory and, and Christus Victor. And I think it's important for us to understand why and, and what those are. Yeah. Um, well, ransom theory is what it sounds like that, um, you know, Satan was holding a ransom, you know, on us, on humanity, and that um, it needed to be satisfied and to be paid for. Um, uh, through Jesus's death. Um, so you can see why we got there, you know, sin, you know, Satan's the leader of sin. And, and you can see that theme throughout um, scripture. You can see themes of sacrifice. Certainly Jesus laying down his life uh, for the sake of humanity. Um, and that was definitely an early church um, theory. And you're right. I think, I think um, we should, uh, they didn't talk in these ways, right? They just kind of lived because they were so close to Christ and they, they, they knew foundationally Christ just called them to live a new way. Um, they lived that way. Like, uh, Jewish folks, early Christians didn't have like a view of hell as we've been taught. Um, they weren't fearful of going to hell. They were just like more concerned about living today. Um, and then also they also lived with a view that Jesus was going to return like at any second. Like Paul literally thought Jesus was going to come back uh, before yeah. he died, you know. Um, so they weren't thinking about this, this afterlife that we're going to burn in hell. Um, they were thinking they were just going to live forever here on earth, that Jesus was going to come back and we were all, you know, death was going to be no more. Uh, and so, yeah, so the theories of all of this, they weren't really debating. Uh, they were debating more how to live, how to interact uh, with each other, um, what their community was going to look like. Um, you know, Paul and Peter got in fights about that, who was allowed in the community, were Gentiles allowed, and and that sort of thing. Um, those were the things they were concerned about in the early days, and now we're concerned about 
all of these things. Uh, so you had ransom theory, you had Christos Victor theory, you had penal substitutionary theory, and then moral influence theory, which was um, that's kind of less known of the other three. Um, and so essentially God needed to sacrifice his son just to show the world how much he loved humanity. Um, and so the, it, this was, a, this was to show sinful humans the depth of what love is. Um, and so it wasn't really a satisfaction. It wasn't a substitution. It was just like, you guys are all messed up. You don't, you don't get it. And so here I'm going to show you. It's hard you to that. argue with that though. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> y'all are all crazy <laughs> um yeah but yeah there's some truth to it right we are we don't get we don't get it we don't love um and christ's sacrifice on the cross is an example that the purest form of of love of what love is so you can see where all of these theories kind of have handles in scripture where people can can gravitate towards and and so i think we we do need to that's why i love this idea of the mosaic of the atonement is i i think that we can see all elements of all of these things in what christ's work on the cross did for us and so why we believed this is an appropriate thing to talk about for jacked theology is it becomes jacked when you're when you become dogmatic about one particular theory and if you don't fall in line with that theory, then you're not a Christian. Like that's what's going on around here um, in our day, especially now as people are getting more tribal and more in their corners, seeing it over and over again. If you don't believe this and you're apostate and you're going to hell, right? And what they're saying is if you don't believe in my that. PSA, right? If my theory, then you're going to hell. It's just like, really? Well, yeah, I think um, I think the point is well taken that each of these atonement theories, if if lived in a vacuum on their own, may lead to places that um, I don't want to say they are outside of the gospel or outside necessarily of of the kingdom of God that you're going to be apostate. I think that's I think that's probably taking any of these atonement theories way too far and reading way too much into it to say if you only solely focus there and you go all the way down the road on this you know Christus Victor or ransom theory or or even moral influence theory that um, you're you're outside of the kingdom of God but I I would say I think that there is from where I've from my vantage point some truth in saying that to only go down one of these atonement theories to the exclusion intentionally of all of the others can probably lead you to the place where there are some holes and maybe even some problems in the way that you live it out in the world and in your relationship with God. Now, bring that into the conversation you're just having about Christianity and evangelicalism and where we are. I think that that is the rub right now with evangelicalism doubling down on um, penal substitutionary atonement theory as being the only way to the exclusion of all of the others is the end of the road on penal substitutionary atonement theory leads us to a mindset and a lived faith in the community around us that is hostile, abrasive, toxic, and borderline, um, borderline apostate. I don't want to say apostate. And, you know, this whole um, retribution, condemnation, love the sinner, but hate the sin, but the love the sinners, love the sinner, hate the sin. I think that this is born out of a lot of these things, a gospel that is um, exclusive to um, an atonement theory that has an angry, abusive God at its center, essentially. And so we become angry and abusive in our faith if we don't temper this substitutionary atonement with Christus Victor, with ransom, with, with moral influence. Uh, and, and that is, I'll like jump in here. That's, that's where I begin to have some, some concerns with evangelicalism and where it's headed and doubling down on penal substitutionary atonement theory is I, I feel like we're, we're bringing the hate and the anger and the frustration that we have with the world around us. And we're saying, oh, well, penal substitutionary atonement theory kind of gives me permission to live this out in an abrasive and hostile and volatile way 
it, it justifies my actions and justifies my anger in the same way that God's actions and anger were justified uh, in how he treated Jesus. And I, I just don't think that that's, it's a part of the gospel, but I don't think it's the gospel. And certainly it's not bringing people to Jesus from my vantage point. Yeah. I mean, the question is, did, did, uh, yeah. Did God hate Jesus on the cross? Um, you know, it's, it seems to be that's the God they, they serve that they've created. And to their credit (laughs) for some of them, they, they live like the God they think exists in the Bible. Um, it's a, it's a God that hates a God that's angry, a God that's violent, um, a God that's retributive. They live that out. They um, seek retribution. They seek um, a. Uh, they seek all of those things, violence, um, and so yeah. They say hate the sin, hate, love the sinner, um, but they don't show any love to the sinner until the sinner repents and falls in line with their view of how to live in the world. Until that time, they hate that person. Their person's not welcome. Um, I mean, they, they, they literally put it in black and white uh, that, yeah, they're not allowed to be friends with me. We're not allowed to be in relationship. Like, how is that loving, right? That's not very loving. Um, so, yeah, they live that, that God out into the world. And that, for a lot of people, they, they read their scriptures, they read about Jesus, and they say... <laughs> That doesn't line up with who I see in the Bible. I'm yeah. out, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, that's-, that's loving to point out your sin. It's loving to tell you, you know, that you're going to hell. It's loving to tell you all of the things that you're doing wrong from my vantage point and my interpretation of Scripture. No, it's not. That's not loving. That's just being an asshole. <laughs> and that's not – go back and look at Jesus, you know. Well, Jesus condemned. Well, look at who Jesus condemned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me People introduce you. Let me introduce you to a mirror. Where the religious leaders, yes, those are the people he went after. Um for not being loving. Like he went after them because they followed the law yet forgot Shock the purpose face. of the law. <laughs> they they forgot the purpose of the law was to love. <laughs> um and a lot of PSA lends itself to that, to being unloving. Um, it justifies it, yeah, in a lot of ways. It, it, can, it can lead you to a place where you justify a particular style of, of interaction and doing practical theology in the world. Uh, and that's that's my hang-up. My hang-up isn't necessarily so much on penal substitutionary atonement theory, on this on this idea of, of the cross. Um, I don't think it's a full picture of the work of the cross, and I don't think it paints a full or kind or realistic picture of God and, and Jesus' role in what's going on, but there are pieces uh, of it in there. The difficulty really for me with, with this theory is is how jacked its followers end up becoming when that's their sole way to see the cross and whenever it is not just central to their gospel, but it is the gospel for them, it's, it just doesn't comport with scripture. It doesn't comport with the gospels themselves. And it certainly doesn't comport with what we see of Jesus. Well, yeah. And a big element of this, too, is that you must believe their version of this theory uh, to, to be a Christian. Um, that's a huge red flag. Well, that's a huge red flag. Anytime anyone says, unless you believe this, you are you are outside the kingdom of God to make one topic or one issue or one theology the um, the litmus test for orthodoxy for, for Christianity is um, what well, says more about the person who does that than it does the topic itself. And I wonder, like, so my thought on that was the thief on the cross, right? I wonder if Jesus, Jesus had to know that humans would be idiots like this and argue over these theories. 
and that we had to believe well, this one theory of how it all works. And and the thief on the cross had no concept of any of that, had no time to like learn all the different nuances of becoming a Christian and what Jesus say, you know, you'll be with me in paradise today. Um, you know, the thief on the cross, how did he get to heaven? He didn't just pray a prayer. He didn't believe a theory. He got to, he got to, to paradise because well, Jesus invited him. Jesus welcomed him. Um, Jesus said, you know, you're going to be with me. And I think that's the good news of the gospel. And this kind of leads to the hell talk. It's like, he invites us. We are saved because Jesus invites us. He saves us. He declares us so. Um, and I, that's beautiful. That is that is good news. <laughs> um, and I think, I think the world needs that good news. I think that's what, to me, like as I look at people that deconstruct or never like come to faith and just remain agnostic or an atheist. It's because of this issue, because they think that like God is this angry uh, retributive God that's, you know, is, is violently looking to punish their sin. And they think uh, mo a lot of people I know in the world that aren't Christians following Jesus um, think that God's going to punish them for all the wrong they did. And um, I get that constantly, right? just constant fear and it's like no that's not what god was about like he's not looking to punish you and bring ill will on you because of your failings and your sin that's that's not the gospel that's not the good news and and so um we've we've ruined our influence we've ruined our testimony we've ruined what the kingdom of god is about through this theory i'll just be blunt i mean it's ran a lot of people away, and it's a predominant theory in our nation, in our country today. It's how people see the the, the church um, outs that are outside the church, and it's done a very much a disservice. Um, and it needs it needs to be addressed. Um, and so that's why I think we're addressing it today. And I I feel badly. And a lot of times, what I say, well, that's not the God I serve. That's not not the God I read in the Bible. Um, and then, and then hopefully it opens the doorway for more conversations and invitation. Yeah. The, um, the, the less than charitable side of me for people who lead with this, um, penal substitution, God is angry enough at how you have lived your life in order to kill his son. And so it's all covered, but you should still try to obey these rules anyway um, is I'm like you don't need a theology dude you need a therapist <laughs> like, like that's, that, that's a that's a that, this is this is about you dude you you are projecting your hate and your anger at things that you perceive as being sin and want to be sin on to God, hoping that he will take it out on these people so that you don't have to. And yet you're still taking it out on, on these people because homosexuality grosses you out or you're a person who has grown up in an ethnic context who doesn't function well with racial diversity or you are a patriarchal idiot <laughs> who, who wants to be in charge and can't handle women. And so, you know, we project all of these things onto the scriptures and onto the gospel rather than allowing it to be projected onto our hearts and our lives and change us. We want this God to be as angry as we are with these sinners and change them. And it's a plank beam spec situation where I'm ignoring my own sin and my own issues and, and the only ways in which I fail, but using the Bible to project onto other people theirs, which allows me to ignore and avoid mine because, hey, substitutionary atonement, mine are forgiven, but yours you really need to deal with. Yeah. I think it's a great point. As you were talking, I just thought, I mean, what if we looked at this as let's let the cross and what 
like let's look at literally what Jesus did is he sacrificed himself on the cross. He um, gave his life. He served us. He showed us love. He showed people love. Um, he went as a servant. Let's let all of those principles. There's you know the implications of the gospel, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, all those things that we think about when we think about the cross. Let's throw out all the theories and just, yeah, let those things transform us. Let's like, let that form us. Let's be a people of grace. Let's be a people of forgiveness. Let's be a people of sacrifice of servanthood and just start there and then let everything else kind of work itself out as we go. Cause I, we would have a dynamic, powerful influence in the world if we just lived the the implications of the cross out into the world, um, and let and let Jesus solve it one day when we're with we're with him in the by and by. Hey, Jesus, how <laughs> theologically explain all of this to me? You know, like, but it, I think that's a great point. Like, let's just let it transform us because honestly, we just look like a bunch of assholes at times. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, and this is where, and we keep coming back to hell, this is where this idea of hell really fails us is because we have so bought into this idea of hell as being a punishment for people God isn't reconciled to, but really it's punishment for people who I'm not reconciled to. It's not about God, it's about me. But because we have this idea that hell is a real and present danger for anyone who is not fully reconciled to God, it drives us to not allowing God to handle this in the end. We feel like we have to handle it now because of hell. Uh, whether or not you, whether or not you believe in hell is a real and present danger. I think if you're operating out of hell being a real and present danger, what you're ultimately saying is I don't believe in the power of God as a real and present um, redeemer because I believe in hell as a more real and present danger. And so I, I think, you know, we're, we're functioning this penal substitutionary atonement theory puts us in a uh, combined with hell puts us in a position where uh, we are we're giving more power to the real and present danger of hell than we are giving the power to the real and present redeemer who who has promised to work things out so much so that he sends the Holy Spirit in order to continue to work these things out in people. It just betrays the weakness of our true faith and trust in in God's ability to save. Well it sets up Honestly, as you were talking, I was thinking it sets up God to be a failure because their belief is not everyone's going to be saved, right? Um, only those who put their trust in this theory. And so did God fail on the cross? Like Jesus didn't take all the sin of the world. He just took your sin and that other person's sin, but not my sin because I'm apostate. I don't believe your theory. Um or he did, and he just failed. It just didn't satisfy. Um, it, there's yeah. a lot of holes there. No, it's a good right? point. It either satisfied or it didn't. Um, yeah. and, and actually, you, you, say, well, you, you are, have to buy into it. Well, okay. Um, really? <laughs> well, David Bentley Hart's whole argument for universalism is built on penal substitutionary atonement um, to its logical end that if God is a good God, then all of this... Um, works out in the end right like god right. would not satisfy so they all everyone is saved um because god is because god wins because god can't fail um so it's an interesting thought um i i think a lot of it's built in our human nature too to um human psychology to want to be better than others like if someone's going to hell and i'm not like it gives us this sense of like okay i'm i'm doing things right because others are wrong um I think there's a lot of that going on, especially today, and especially the people that that are not charitable, that are kind of, you know, angry towards others. Yeah. Um, I used to think I it was think, pride or power that we wanted to be better than people, which is why we wanted other folks to to go to hell or to not get it or, or the self righteousness. Uh, but you hinted at this, and I think I think I, I'm becoming to believe it's more about peace 
if if other people are and I'm not, I can live at peace that that I'm okay, um, mm. which may lead to some of these other um, more toxic, you know, I- ideas such as you know power or, or pride or some of those things. But I think at the end of the day, it's it's a lot about peace. I want to be at peace, and for whatever reason, it makes me feel at peace to be okay. I can know I'm okay if I know somebody else isn't. But if, yeah, but yeah. if you're but if you're at peace and I'm at peace and you're a better person really than I am, then I am not at peace anymore because I have to live better. But if I can just rely on the fact that, oh, I pray to prayer and I'm not gay <laughs> in order to get me in, then it doesn't matter how the hell I live my life because I'm I'm good. So I can be at peace and do nothing. And so I think that that's the. That's the reason why we need eternal conscious torment in a lot of ways. That's the reason why we need some to not be saved rather than all be saved is because if if we are all on the same playing field and in the end all of us are going to be redeemed back to Christ, then it totally means that now I have to rethink how I live my life in the present. Yeah. It does. I mean, I think, well... I want to be charitable, but why? why? Okay, be charitable. I mean, I have. A, I know a lot of people in the PSA world. Um, yeah, my my hang up is not PS. Is I, I I get hung up on PSA, but my hang up is not so much just the base theology of PSA, but most of what we experience and teach and preach and hang on to now isn't necessarily a, a base rational understanding of PSA in context of all of these other atonement theories, but it's something it's, it's like on steroids. It's, it's, it's the Hulk version of this. And yeah, there, there are some folks I'm thinking now, I'm just thinking on the fly that I think look at it as a healthy way. They understand there's other theories. They understand it's actually a theory. And so they kind of, kind of open-handedly preach it, talk about it. Um, and they, they would bring in some of the other the other ideas um, that we've talked about to kind of make it a more healthy view of it. It would speak out against the kind of the negative the forms of yeah. But, yeah. So I, I think if you're there, that's, I mean, kudos to you. I would, I would continue to, you know, posture yourself with grace and in that area. And also think about the implications, though. Um, because you still have people that are that are deconstructing or never yeah nail on the head Christ. yeah that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking about is you have to you have to understand how this translates to the, out in the real world and and there's a part of us that says you know what well, doesn't it is what it is it doesn't matter what you think just you you've got to buy into this if this is the way it is well <laughs> if you believe in a real little or hell that's a real and present danger then how you communicate these things to people should be in a way that draws people towards your theology rather than pushes people away from your theology. So I've never understood this idea with, you know, this take or leave it, you know, it it is what it is. Love the sinner, hate the sin. I'm going to condemn you, repent. And it pushes people away. And yet you still believe that people need to come to God and you're pushing them away. At least like you say, think through your theologies and figure out a way to present these things in a way that is open-handed and draws people towards Christ and God rather than intentionally pushes people away. Come on. A lot of these guys do take pride in, in just being so bold and blunt and want pushing people away. I told them, you know, they're going to hell, I, you know, and everybody gives each they other. Take joy. Well, you take joy yeah. in sending, yeah. condemning people to hell. I don't, I don't get it. I just yeah. don't get it. Like you're, you don't need a theology. You need a therapist. That's our, <laughs> that is our that is our takeaway from this yeah. conversation today. Is you that's you the do, subtitle of this? <laughs> you don't you don't need an atonement theology. You need a therapist. <laughs> yes, you do, Mark. You need Driscoll. to you need to EMDR that out of you. I just <laughs> something something be broken. <laughs> it's well okay. Case in point, right? So. I mean, our, our, our Twitters, uh, 
we get in dialogues all the time with folks like these, you more so than me, but, but how many of them have blocked us because they just don't want to hear it? Like that just tells me a lot about your theory. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, I, I, I go to places all. I'm like, I got blocked by you. I've never commented on your wall yeah. at all, and you, like, you blocked me. I have and a I'm lot like, of. I, I get it. Okay, but it's more. Yeah. Like I have a who's, lot of. Who's close-minded? <laughs> yeah, a lot of my neo former and now I guess former neo reform friends are like blocking me, unfriending me, because I'm speaking out against penal substitutionary atonement and things related to it, and it's like, really. Like, yeah, yeah. Go read your Bible, Matt. <laughs> go read your Bible, Matt. Well, every time I read my Bible, I actually go further away from your position. You, you can't even have a conversation or even listen to me. Like I, a lot of these folks aren't they, they, they silently, you know, block you. Um, you're not even willing to have a conversation or listen. Like that's just crazy to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, it. I understand that mindset because I've been there. The fear of hearing alternate perspectives and being wooed away from that um, towards apostasy. But what if you are the apostate and it's God wooing you? What, what, I just, you know, how how smart are you? How how willing are you to, if you believe in hell and you believe in judgment, how willing are you to show up and look God in the eye and all the defense that you have is the Bible clearly said, and so this is what I believed. And God looks at you and says, well, you were wrong. <laughs> how how sure are you? Well, all of the, this is what the church has believed historically for 2000 years. Are you sure? Of that, or is that just what you've been told the church has believed with one voice for 2,000 years? Well, the Bible clearly says, are you sure? Because there are a lot of people who are a lot smarter than you, don't have to have doctorates. There are plumbers and truck drivers like my dad who, who are a lot smarter than you in scriptures who disagree with you on this because the Bible clearly says that they're on the, are you sure? Like, <laughs> if you're going to close your mind to anything that does not comport with your current understanding on this text, you have already told us um, that you want to be wrong. I, I mean, a lot of reformed guys do this. If they were living in 1400 rather than 1500, you know, CE, their minds would have been closed to the reformers. <laughs> yeah. They they would not have bought in to what Luther was doing and Luther was saying. They would have all, they would have not read the ninety five theses. They would have not listened because well that's apostasy. Well, how sure yeah. are you now that you're on the right side of the Wittenberg door? How so sure those, are you? So all those Christians before fifteen hundred are are in hell. Is that what you're saying? I mean. <laughs> I think well, our they're Catholic, Mason, so yes. <laughs> I think our friend Mason okay. puts something I need, like that. I, yeah, no, I need to. I need to. I, I do not believe you're going to hell if you're Catholic. Actually, I think there are going to be more Catholics in heaven than there are Protestants. But that's a whole other story for another day too. <laughs> <laughs> but many of my Reformed brothers would say to the Catholic Church that, uh, yeah, and they're wrong. And the Orthodox people look at all of us and say, "Y'all are all going out. <laughs> we 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 are the only true church." It's it's just come on. I, I, every every denomination and Protestantism, Catholicism, Orthodox has a tendency to believe and even outright voice, "We are the only ones who are right." Um, yeah, yeah, Mason. Are, are, Minage, whatever you say. I don't name. know how you say his name, but it, 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 he's got a cool name and an even cooler style. He said, I feel bad that all the Christians before, or for the 1600 years before Calvinism had the wrong theology. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to be you. <laughs> It's true, uh, though. This is this is the way yeah. we live our life. This is the way we live. And, and we, we, so many of us still live that way today. You know, 
we came along, yeah. our church came along, our, our theology came along and, and got it right. And that's the way it's always been. And no, no, you, no, just no. That, yeah. That's my favorite reply on Twitter to idiocy. No. It's just no. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no explanation, nothing else, just no. no. <laughs> but I wanted to say to Driscoll today when I woke up. No? Yeah, what, yeah, what, what's he, he got him. going on? He says, the funniest thing about evangelical Twitter is after stating a simple Christian doctrine, you get attacked by the apostates that hate Jesus. <laughs> he goes on. I just is, I just want to be like, uh, no, you never <laughs> say simple Christian doctrine. And the apostates who hate Jesus are not attacking you. <laughs> you might be the apostate who hates Jesus. But I, no, but I think yeah, that's, the, that's the question. Until you are willing to truly stand back from your theology, whether it's atonement theory or any of these other, you know, four pillars of evangelicalism, you know, um, LGBTQ, any of these things, until you're willing to stand back and say, and seriously ask yourself, could I be the apostate? Could the, the theology that I'm holding in this moment be problematic or maybe even be diametrically opposed to the heart of God or the truth? Um, until you're willing to legitimately ask that question of yourself, um, I can't trust much or anything that you believe or that you say. Um, it, be, it, it, it is an important stance. Uh, and I think it was the stance that Jesus was, was always pushing those who drew lines in the sand um, toward is, is until you can first think about where you are, uh, you should not be doing any thinking about where other people are. <laughs> 